Saru was five years old. His brother Gudu and his little sister and his mum lived together in Kandwa, India. They were very poor. And one night, Saru was out with his brother Gudu doing their normal nightly duties of collecting coal at the local train station so they could sell it for food and milk. And they got to the end of their sort of shift and uh, little five-year-old Saru lost his big brother and he was waiting around. It started to rain. He thought, look, I'll just jump in one of these stationary freight trains, get out of the rain, I'll have a little nap. And so he did, and he had a little nap. But when he woke up, he was on a moving freight train and it was travelling day after day after day without stopping until it did stop, but it stopped in a place that he didn't know. And it was a place called Calcutta one of the busiest, poorest, most dangerous cities you could possibly hope to go to. And here we have five-year-old Saru hop out and try to make a, a, a go of life on the streets as a five-year-old in Calcutta. It was pretty tough going and he ends up in an orphanage. Saru, long story short, gets adopted by an Australian family, grows up in Australia and uh, around 25 years old, or actually 30 years old, he decides to start looking for his origins to try to find his family. And uh, where do you go if you want to find where you came from and you don't know even where it was, what it was called? But you have these vague memories of landmarks in your mind. Where, where would you go? Google. Google. You'd go to Google Earth. And uh, so he starts looking for a needle in a haystack. He starts trolling through uh, Google Earth to try to find some landmarks. And finally, he does. He discovers the Ganesh Talai neighbourhood of the Kandwa district where he grew up. And he returns, flies over there, takes an English translator who speaks the local tongue, and he actually has an emotional reunion with his biological mother and sister. Saru's mother never gave up hope, believing that one day her missing son would return. That's why she never moved from her village. You may have seen the movie. Anyone remember the movie? Lots of us saw it. It's called Lion with Dev Patel and Nicole Kidman. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 7, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Seek and you will find. Have you noticed that the Bible is a story of seeking and finding? It's all about a rescue mission, and that's really what Christmas is. Christmas is the greatest rescue mission ever embarked on, God becoming a man, Jesus, to seek out the lost, to ultimately give himself as a hero, to die on a cross for the sin of the world, that people like you and I could be saved, be forgiven find freedom and hope and ultimately eternal life. Christmas is the beginning of a rescue mission. God seeks people out. He wants to find us. And he's patient and he's faithful because love, like the love of Saru and his mum, does not give up. On the edge of the Christmas narrative is this little vignette, this little story that we often remember 
uh, by a little song that goes like, We three kings of Orient are bearing gifts, we travel so far. It's, the song is actually wrong because they weren't kings. Anyone know that? Uh, they're wise men, which we'll see in a minute when we read it. But what's important is these wise men came bearing gifts for a king. And the text uh, tells us the story in Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. I'm going to read a little bit. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. Remember, it says King Herod, hearing about another king born. He doesn't like that. And all Jerusalem with him were disturbed. When he had called together all the peoples, chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. Now, the child's not just newborn, probably between nine and 24 months old, uh, go and search, uh, he, they, they, uh, Herod tells them, search carefully for the child, as soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Verse 9, after they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed on coming to the house they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Three magi, or wise men, astrologers, or probably more likely astronomers, really people who understood the stars. They're not Jews. They're not Christians. They saw in the sky that a king had been born. These men come from a tradition that believes everything is connected. So they are looking to the skies to communicate to them about events in human history, which might seem strange to us, but, you know, those of us who are Christians have Psalm 19. It says, the heavens declare the glory of God night after night, day after day. They pour forth speech, can't hear anything, but they're communicating. So here we find the stars, the heavens, communicating something to these wise men. What? Did the skies communicate? It's hard to say. One strong idea, which comes from N.T. Wright, a guy who's a renowned theologian and historian. I say that because you might think I'm the one making it up. Um, but he suggests that there is, in history of cosmology, we know that there was an alignment of two planets, not so much stars, but Jupiter and Saturn lined up in the planetary plane just above Jerusalem at about 7 BC, around the time of the birth of Christ. And he suggests that 
Uh, Jupiter was a royal planet, and Saturn, many saw Saturn in some way connected to the Jewish people. I'd never heard that before, but I'm trusting N.T. Wright. And uh, he's British and a historian, so he's worth believing. Um, <laughs> when he talks, you just think, he's got to be right. Uh, but so yeah, the, his idea is you've got two planets lining up above Bethlehem, and one is Jupiter and one Saturn, the king of the Jews. It's hard to know for sure what the skies communicated. However, it happened, Matthew is communicating this, that creation itself is pointing to a king. I don't know about you, if you're here today and this doesn't mean anything to you, I think most of us are here because it does. Amen? This is the Bible it's hard to understand, but we want to believe it's from God and our best hope in understanding life. And what's really fascinating and powerfully intriguing is that at the very beginning of the Jesus Good News story, there's a story about creation itself acknowledging him as king. Not just one people group, the Jews. There are outsiders, wise men from the east who follow a sign and come and find the king who has been born, king of the Jews, king of the planet, king of the cosmos. And our question today is, is he our king? Is he the king of our lives? Is he worthy of our allegiance, this one born in the major who would die on a cross and rise again and live forever and reign over the universe? Is he worthy of our worship? I want to focus in on what these wise men were doing. They saw a sign and then they seek. Seek and you will find, the Bible says. They follow the sign <clears throat> to its destination. Have you had any signs in your life? I've spoken to dozens of people in my life when I say, have you ever found like God has given you a sign? So many people say, yeah, definitely. It may not have been a light in the sky, but somehow God intervened in my world, in my journey of life, and it felt like he went, no, not that way, but this way. There was like a sign, and it connected to what feels like a homing device in our heart, leading us towards God, towards the pathway that brings us in a greater relationship with him. Many of us are on that journey. We're still seeking. We're following the signs. Well, as we close the door on another decade, another decade about to fly by, let me ask you on this Christmas 2019, have you found what you're looking for with those signs? Remember anyone old enough to know Bono sang it in the 80s? I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Have you found what you're looking for? Has the homing device brought you to a place where you know I'm home? Spiritually, I'm home. The Bible says, seek and you will find. We've been working our way through the book of Mark as a church. The four Gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. They tell the story of Jesus from four different unique eyewitness perspectives. And what we found is that Jesus lived a very significant life. He, he impacted people wonderfully, uh, 
On one occasion, early in his ministry, he's in a fishing village, which we often talk about at church when you're studying the book of Mark, a place called Capernaum, and he is teaching, and the people have packed into this house, this dwelling, and you just can't get in there. There's no space. And the Bible tells us this story. It's in Mark chapter 2. There's a man who's paralyzed. He can't walk, and he has four friends, and they carry him on a mat. They come out to the front of this place, and he's seeking someone to heal him. He's seeking. He wants to find an answer. He wants to find power, and he's heard that Jesus can heal people. So he's coming, and it's like anyone been to the domain late uh, when carols are on, and you think, I should have come earlier because I'm so far back. Like It's like carols in the domain when you've come too late. There is no space for a seat, but it's a house, and so what do the guys do? The Bible says they were undaunted by this, so undeterred, they somehow got to the roof in Palestine, first century, it's probably steps, they go up the top, and they do something very strange, if you know the story, uh, there's no punchline here, but if you don't, you know what they did? They worked out on the roof where Jesus is probably speaking, and they started digging through the roof. These guys will uh, not say no to what they are seeking, the one who can help their friend. And so they dig through tiles, compacted dirt, straw. And that, of course, Jesus must have been, think about it, he's teaching away. What, what is going on? And, and then when I think about the next part, rather than race through the story, I think, I don't know quite how that happened. Like, how big a hole do you need to make to get someone through on a mat? And so the fellas put their backs on the line here. They've got a mat, a guy, grown man, and they're lowering him down. Then I think of the guy... He's putting his life on the line, coming down. And then I can't help but think of some sort of cockney guy coming down saying, excuse me, sorry, uh, won't be a moment, just, just a moment with the master, coming down in front of Jesus. And Jesus stops and the text says, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Verse 6, some teachers of the law were sitting there in this crowd thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts and he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven? Or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. Jesus is pretty calm under pressure, isn't it? You've got to say. That's a cool line. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone and they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this before. Jesus had the authority to forgive the man, his sins, and, and he had the authority to heal the man, and he did both. Seek and you will find. I wonder if this story connects with anyone here today. I, I want to acknowledge that for some of us here today, you feel a bit like a man on a mat. Because the the man on the mat 
felt a bit awkward coming into this space that others were all in. And, and maybe you don't come to church very often and maybe you're sitting here today and you, you don't identify yourself as a churchy. Like it's, it's not normal. It's, it feels a bit weird. So well done for coming. And I wonder if yet, even though you're not here often, there's a peace in your heart because it's the right place for you to be. Because you've been seeking what works in life for a long time and you're not gullible, but you want to know the truth. I meet people like that all the time. And in fact, we're full of those people at our church. They are genuinely seeking truth. They don't call themselves a Christian. They're on a journey trying to find the light, trying to find out if God is who he says he is, if the Bible's real. If you're seeking truth today and it feels like you are an outsider, can I just remind you at the core of the gospel story is a bunch of outsiders who follow a star and they come and offer worship to the king of the universe and it's received. Seek and you shall find. The Bible says later on why Jesus turned up at Christmas. It was to be found by seekers, I think, absolutely. Wise men found him. The paralyzed man later on found him. But Luke 19.10 says why Jesus came. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. We do a bit of seeking, but the one who seeks far harder than we will ever seek is Jesus who seeks to save the lost. Amen. God knows who you are. And he wants a relationship with you. He always has wanted that. He seeks and saves lost people. I've discovered that I need to be re-found again, even though I've been found. I don't lose my salvation day by day. I'm not saying that. But I find as a Christian for many decades, I have a habit of wandering. I wander from... A living faith. I know Jesus died on a cross 2,000 years ago. I know God's there, but is he someone I can trust in the daily grind of life? And I find I have to refocus and recalibrate regularly because I wander, and I think that's a biblical reality. There are twists and turns in life that make it hard to hold on to faith. It feels like you're not seeking after God much often in life. How has the last decade treated you? Did you sort of realise we're popping through a decade, a whole decade? I was born on the 5th of January 1970, so it's really easy. I had the first decade, the 70s, and then the 80s, the 90s. So I've been stopping reflecting about my life as I come to the end of the 2010s, which is the fifth decade of my life, and the last 10 years... Uh, began with Leanne, my wife and I, we looked at each other and we said, let's try homeschooling our kids. So we sort of did that for 10 years. It was a really big thing to do and it was really helpful for our lives and our kids and it was a wonderful um, highlight of the last 10 years. Um, and there are other highlights like coming to Northern Life and meeting a whole bunch of new people and like, all sorts of things. But if you asked me how did that decade rate compared to the others, I'd say it's the toughest decade I've had for me. It began going to the doctor, and the doctor said, I was just a healthy guy, turning 40, and he says, John, 
He's an Indonesian guy. He said, John, you have drop-dead syndrome. I thought, is there an easier way you could tell me that? <laughs> so I, I promptly went out the front of the medical centre and had a panic attack and nearly fainted. <laughs> but uh, that took me down a, roll, uh, a road of finding out that I had dangerously high blood pressure and within about a year I was with a specialist. He was looking at my heart, a cardiologist, and he says, Jonathan, you're going to die a tragic death in the next few years if we don't fix your heart. And I'm like, oh, okay. This is all very serious. Is this what midlife is about? And then my dad did drop dead like that of a heart attack uh, about eight or nine years ago. And then the church I was pastoring and part of for 19 years and we'd seen so much good stuff sort of started falling apart and I, sort of, I felt like I lost that in the middle of the decade. Uh, and I thought, God, what are you doing? This doesn't seem fair. And then great mates of mine got divorced. I thought, how could it possibly happen? But then they get divorced. And then they left their Christian faith. And I'm like, what is going on here, God? And then my father-in-law got sick, and they thought he'd live for a year, and he dies in a month or two, a week before our daughter's wedding. It's like, God, could you get your timing a bit right here? And I look back on the decade, and I think, well, Lord, you've been faithful, and there's been so much that's gone on that's so great but it's been hard at times. I've wondered if you know where I am, God. When we ask you for prayers that are miraculous, that only you can do to break through, and you don't do them. And you start to wander in your belief. So why do I share all that? Because life has a way of getting you re-lost. Even when you've been found. And, you know, I know some of you have been through far worse than that in the last year. I'm not saying my life's the hardest. I don't live in Syria in a war zone. But, hey, life goes up and down in its challenges. My point is this. Life has a way of reminding us that we are mortal. Amen? It just does. We are needy. And in the midst of recognising maybe for you that you feel lost... Maybe for you, you can actually touch rock bottom in life. I know some of us are like this. Yeah, no, I can actually feel it. I'm at the rock bottom. If that's you, I want to encourage you with the truth this Christmas that God never gives up. He has not given up on you. He seeks and saves lost people. He hears the cry of the oppressed and the lost. He finds people. God sent his son Jesus to leave heaven at Christmas to seek us out and find us. He died on a cross for your sin and mine to pay our sin debt to God. He died so that we could be reconnected with a holy God, seeking and finding. Christmas is really about that. It's about connections. God becoming a man, Jesus taking on the sin of the world on the cross, Jesus being reunited with his Father through the resurrection, human beings through faith in Jesus being able to be connected back to God. It's about being found. That's what Christmas is about. What's going on for you this Polaroid snapshot of your life now. Are you found or are you lost? Are you wandering? Are you seeking? I find it interesting that in another era of history, Saru could never have found his mum if he lived 20 years before. 
Google Earth, with its vast collection of satellite imagery masterfully stitched together to form a perfect God-like, have you picked that up? It feels a bit God-like, the perspective that we have in this generation to come back and look at the world and pinpoint an exact location and zoom in and find it. That reminds me, God knows your location. He knows mine. He sees so much more than Google Earth, but it gives us a picture of how God knows who we are. The Bible says, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Well, the wise men got it right. There has been a king born who is Christ the Lord. And I would put to you today, he is our king. Creation acknowledged it. He's the king of the stars, king of the cosmos, king of the Jews, king of our personal kingdoms, and he's the king of our personal queendoms. The wise men brought gifts befitting a king. The king of glory just asked one thing from every person in this room. One thing. Do you know what that is? Everything. That's all he asked. Everything. He says, just give me everything and I'll give you the best life you could ever have. More than that. You give me everything. I'll give you a life that will never end. I'll give you a life eternal. I'll give you a hope, freedom from death, forgiveness, a sense of significance because you're connected to the big meta-narrative, the big overarching story. There's nothing more important if this is true. May you be found this Christmas. May you find the King. May you be refound if you've wandered. Could we pray together? Lord God, I don't want to miss the opportunity as we are here together. We've come under the sound of the gospel, the simple good news that Jesus, you died and rose again for our sin. I just want to ask you with our eyes shut if you want to express a reaching out to God. don't normally do this at Christmas, but I want to encourage you to raise your hand as a way of saying to God, I want to be found. I want to be found. Maybe it's the first time you've ever reached out to God. Say, I want you to find me. And let that be the beginning of praise God. Praise God. Anyone else? That you want to be found. The obvious thing is that maybe it's this is the Christmas before we go into a new decade that you want to be refound. You want to be refound. Praise God. Anyone else? Well, let me pray. Lord God, I know you see the hands of people uh, raised in the air, and your grace is sufficient. I thank you that. We all sit here together with a sense of solidarity. We have a solidarity in our humanity that we have failed, that we wander, we make mistakes, we feel ashamed. Often we feel that we know better. Thank you, Jesus, that your grace is sufficient and your job, your passion is to seek us out, find us, fill us up with a hope, renew us, and put us on the right path. So if you are reaching out to God, may the Lord find you and meet you where you're at. Lord God, as a church, we want to commit ourselves to you. 
before the next Christmas if you don't return and wrap this whole world up. We want to be found faithful. So would you help us do that? Help us to seek and save in your name, in word and deed. Amen.